0: We thank you that we can celebrate that we don't need to be shaken ever because we have believed in the unshakable one. We thank you, Father, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, you lived, you died, you were raised to life again by the Father because you'd never sinned. And we thank you, Spirit, that you are in us. And we gather as your people acknowledging that you are God three in one. And we gather as your people acknowledging our desperate need for you. And so, God, meet with us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. The logistics of church. I would suggest in my history of working with churches in the last 27 years or so, that it's the logistics of church, the ideology and philosophy behind church that tears churches apart more than the doctrine of church. Until the last eight or nine years, most churches across Kinda that were evangelical had a similar doctrine. Oh some may have been more charismatic or less charismatic, some may have been a bit more Arminian and less Calvinistic, But many churches were very similar within a certain vein or stretch of theology. And yet, churches would still implode or explode, and often it was over how churches functioned. It was over church polity. It was over the way that the church government was structured. And often that is what will tear churches apart. Sometimes it happens as churches grow, as churches grow like ours has, Though over the time I've been here, it's always been a slow, steady growth, never, never a quick, momentous growth. It's just been slow, steady. Uh, as churches grow, you experience growing pains as a church bumps up to 300 or 350. Some people who are more comfortable in a church of 150 feel like they can't be known and they're struggling to try to find what that looks like. Your leadership structures change. I mean, at one time when I came here, I was the only pastor on staff with an administrator that was here part-time, and we now have multiple pastoral staff there's numbers of us that are here and part-time staff and administration staff and 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 that all changes over time and it looks quite different and as churches change and transition we search the scriptures for what god says about how we should function as churches and do you know there's very little in the bible about this i mean there are some things around it but There's no sample business meeting anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere. Nowhere does God say when you gather for a business meeting, this is how you should operate. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell you how elders and deacons work together in terms of business. There's some function it grants to each, but there's no sample order of a meeting of elders and deacons as they gather. It just doesn't exist in the Bible. It's not there. And you might start to ask yourself why. Like, Why when... There's so much about church that's about the operationalization of a church. Has God chosen to remain silent virtually about that? I'd like to offer a couple of thoughts. One is this God is saving people from every language, tribe, custom, and culture. And different cultures manage the way that they operationalize things differently. And so I think God's granted some freedom as he's choosing to save people from every language and custom and culture and tribe to allow those different cultures to operate within which the culture that they find themselves in, and God grants the freedom in that. I mean, you know that although in Acts 2, there's a description as to what we should do when we gather as church, that there's no order of service even. God didn't float an order of service down from heaven and say, this is what every church should be doing as they gather every time they meet. There are components that we understand around prayer and fellowship, the word and communion. Um, but even in that first section in Acts 2, singing isn't mentioned. We find that later on in books like Colossians where you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other, giving gratitude in your hearts to God. And the early church experienced some of these growing pains. And the book of Acts shows us this. In Acts 2 you've got 3,000 people are baptized at the day of Pentecost. In Acts 4, the number counted is 5,000 men. 5,000 men plus women and children. So let's then put the church in the New Testament by Acts 4 at about 20,000 people. That would be a reasonable number with 5,000 men. It's specific to men, because that's how they counted, which means there would have been women and children. And if it was a congregation like ours, where many of our families have three or four or even five children, uh, what that means is for every two adults, they're outnumbered. Um, you move from playing one-to-one defense with your children to zone defense, because there's only two of you, and there's more of them, you are outnumbered, God help us all, um, And so what happens is there's now 5,000 men plus women and children, so likely 20,000 people in the church by Acts 4, and it continues to grow. We read in Acts 5 that the church continued to grow after Ananias and Sapphira. The Lord continued to add to their number. Are we at 25,000? I don't know. But then they start to hit growing pains. They start to bump up against kind of the massive church. So if you have your Bibles with me, Acts chapter 6, the whole chapter, Acts chapter 6, and the verses will be on the screen. In those days, verse 1, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained, complained against the Hebranic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. I'll just pause there. The Hellenistic Jews were more immersed in the Greek culture. The uh, Hebranic Jews were more immersed in the, more immersed in the Hebrew culture. And there's complaint that as money is being gathered, as it's being distributed at the apostles' feet, there's this complaint that some of the widows are being overlooked as they were helping widows in need. So widows who didn't have the family support, widows that were truly destitute, the church was helping as part of the collection of food. So you can see immediately in the church community, it talked about in Acts 2 and in Acts 4, how those that had more gave more Of what they had to the church laying it at the apostles feet and that that more was used to help anyone so that there was no needy person among them it doesn't mean that everyone had equal share it wasn't communist but it does mean that everyone had fair share does that make sense it's not that everyone had equal share but everyone had fair share everyone had enough and as this is being distributed Some people are being missed. And it's likely just an oversight. No one in the verses here in the text charges the apostles with some type of malicious behavior. No one's coming and saying ill is being done. It's it's just an oversight. So the 12 gathered, verse 2, all the disciples together. This is a lot of people. So when it says all, it doesn't mean every single one of them. It means a large gathering of them. And said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. We will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they gather the people together and they say, here's the problem. We, as the apostles, should be focusing on the ministry of prayer and the word. Not that that's more important than distributing food, but this is our calling. It's a matter of calling, not a matter of, of, of hierarchy in terms of, of, of what is more important. And so what they're saying here is we need to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's our calling. And if we get distracted moving into how food should be distributed to those in need, we will no longer be able to achieve or to um, fulfill the calling that God has granted us so they say, we want you to choose seven brothers from among you. We want them to be full of the Spirit. So the first qualification is that they're exceedingly godly. They're full of the Spirit. They're people that when you look at them, you recognize God's Spirit is in them. They are led by his Spirit. God's Spirit walks with them. And also full of wisdom. And also full of wisdom. And this is what we want you to do so that we can give our attention to prayer and the Word. Um, At our church a number of years ago, we studied through the elders of Scripture because there's elders mentioned in the Old Testament under um, Jewish, the the, the Hebrew system, as leaders of Israel. There's then elders mentioned in the New Testament um, in the time of Christ. So you can see it's the elders and the chief priests and the scribes that are often against Jesus. And so you see elders mentioned there. Then in the New Testament later on, As Paul and the apostles established new churches all across the then known world, they established elders in churches. As they leave, they establish elders as leaders. So they take this Old Testament term and they reclaim it as part of the New Testament because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And now they reclaim it there as elders leading the church. And then you see some descriptors for elders in places like 1 Timothy and in Titus. And as you dig through the Bible, there's kind of four things that you find that elders do. Elders give general oversight to the church. So you can see they're sometimes used, the term elder or overseer are sometimes used interchangeably in church life. And so elders are overseers. So they give general oversight to the church. I say this to people all the time. That for someone to be an elder at a church, specifically at James North, because it's the church I could speak into, they can't just see a small portion of the church. They can't just see the missions area or the youth area or the children's area or the Karen area or ministry to the marginalized with the hub or with coffees on area. They need to be able to see the whole picture. They need to be someone who's spirit-filled and who's full of wisdom, and they can see the whole picture of the church, everything. They're not focused On something, they're focused on the church as a whole. Though they may have areas of interest, that's not wrong. They're able to see past their area of interest. Because so often in church life, we think our area of interest should be everybody's area of interest. I love refugees. Everybody loves refugees. I want to reach youth. Everyone should want to reach youth. I'm concerned about international missions. Everyone should be concerned about international missions. I'm concerned. I could go on, right? And that infighting, often in church, becomes the idea of you think your passion should be everyone's passion. And God grants us a variety of passions in this. So oversight is one of the things that elders do. The second thing is they teach sound doctrine and they refute false doctrine. You see that in scripture, that the elders are charged with the doctrine of the church. That's the ministry of the word. With making sure that's what's being taught from the pulpit, in seminars, other places, is biblical, is Christ-honoring, is aligned with the Word. And so they give oversight to the church. They're also responsible for making sure that sound doctrine is being taught. False doctrine is being refuted. The third thing is prayer. These aren't in priority, by the way. The Bible doesn't rank these as if one is over and against the other. And so the third is prayer. You see that right here in the text where the apostles are saying we are to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so prayer is a vital component for our church. Wednesday night, our elders will gather to pray. We gather twice a month. Once a month, we gather to do the business of the church. And we meet on a Wednesday night and for several hours, we look through the business of the church. And then one Wednesday a month, we gather and we simply pray for the church. We pray for you. We pray for our ministries. We just gather to pray. That's it. We pray for each other. And our hearts, to make sure that our hearts are aligned with God's heart. We just gather to pray. We don't do any business that night. Or if we do, it's after the prayer time. We say, okay, when we're done at 9, 30, or 10, after we've gathered for prayer, if we have a bit of business that's left over from our meeting, we'll gather and we'll, we'll talk about it then, but not until then. And Pastor Paul's awesome. He guys, he's like, guys, 10 is late to start business. Because Paul believes that every business, all business, should be done by 10. Um, and he's good at keeping us on track at our elders' meetings when I want to talk. I'm not saying the other guys want to talk. I'll just name me in this moment. And then, and then the last thing is shepherding. That the elders are responsible for the spiritual care of the church. That as the elders are responsible for the spiritual care of the church, we want people to grow in their faith. This isn't about having tea with someone and making them feel like they've had a visit. This is about discipling people, shepherding them, calling them to Christ's likeness, walking alongside of them so that they grow in their faith and knowledge of Jesus. So the apostles who say we can't get involved with the distribution of the daily food then say choose seven among you who notice are full of spirit. So the first thing you notice about them is God's spirit guides them. And the second thing, they're full of wisdom and we'll hand it over to them. Well, the proposal pleased the disciples. The the group were like that, makes sense. And then they chose seven men. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Note the spirit mentioned again there. So, Stephen, who was noted to be a man full of faith in the Holy, Holy Spirit, who will be about the next couple of chapters in Acts. Philip, who again will be seen in the next couple of chapters in Acts. Um, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So, Nicholas, who was a Greek who converted to the Jewish faith, then came to the point and place where he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and he converted to Christianity. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So there's a commissioning. They come before the apostles. The apostles lay hands on them and pray for them. Now, this is done in different traditions, different way. A week ago Sunday night, I was at, uh, a week ago today, on Sunday night, I was at an induction service. That's when a pastor becomes the pastor of a church church at a Canadian Reformed Church at Blessings. And I got to give some greetings at it. John Mahaffey prayed at it. And while we had gathered, we had been working for a year and a half with a man named Greg Davidson. He was at Central Presbyterian. He was brought under investigation by their church three times uh, for teaching uh, traditional views on marriage. He was cleared by the Presbytery on the first two, and he left before the third one could even take place. And as Greg was a part of that, and we were praying about, what's Greg gonna do? Where's his family gonna go? I mean, this was just an awful battle. The letters that were written about him, the charges that were laid against him for being faithful to the gospel, being faithful to Christ. So he, uh, he in this journey, uh, Bill de Young came to one of our meetings and said, I've gone uh, to our group. We need to ha- replace someone in pastoral staff. You're from the Presbyterian uh, Church of Canada, uh, but we would like to see if you could be hired by the Canadian reform tradition. That is very unusual for the Canadian Reformed tradition. So he went through all the examinations he passed, and last Sunday night, there was a celebration. And John Mahaffey said, during the prayer time, would you like us to lay hands on you? And Bill and and Greg said, oh, that's only done at the ordination of a pastor. I was like, oh, we lay hands on people way more than that in our tradition. Um, But in their tradition, that's only done when a pastor is ordained. And so Greg was like, so you can't lay hands on me there. I'm like, oh, I'm going to put my hands all over you, man. I'm going to just, boom, on your back. Like, John's going to pray. I'm going to go up behind you and go, bang. Hey, we're praying for you, man, laying on of hands. But I didn't. I, didn't. I respected where I was um, because that's what you should do when you're somewhere else. You should respect where you are. In fact, I said to them, what should I wear that night? And they said, "They said uh, suit, vest, tie. I'm like, all right. Um, and then I got an email later saying, no, 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 jacket and slacks are fine. You don't, don't, don't overdo it, Dwayne. Um, So so they believe that we lay hands on for other things. I mean, here they're laying hands on a deacon. And so often you see the laying of hands in Acts as people are being commissioned into ministry, into missionary service, into something. So we'll lay hands on on people here as they become chairs of ministries. At times we've done it for people who are leading community groups. At times we've done it for new pastoral staff. Um, And this is a tradition that you see through the book of Acts, that people's hands are laid on others Uh, as they are praying, and it's a prayer of blessing for them. And note in verse seven, there's three results. The word of God spread, number one. So as the distribution of food was looked after by these seven godly men, the word of God spreads because the apostles are able to focus on their calling, and the deacons are able to focus on their calling, and God's word spreads. Note, secondly, The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So people believed. People turned from their sin, turned to Christ, believed in him, and the number of disciples, they increased rapidly. And note number three, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So priests then turned from the Jewish faith, believing in Jesus as the Messiah, and they followed the apostles. They came aligned with the apostles. So just pause here for a moment. Who can serve as deacons? We're in this passage talking about deacons. I'm gonna come back at the end of some stuff. Who can serve as deacons? I need a few minutes to unpack this. From 1 Timothy 3, hear this. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. So this is found right after Paul talks about who the elders are. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere. Not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and if there's nothing against them, they can serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent understanding or standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So we believe, as we understand Scripture, that God has called men to serve as elders and in the lead pastor position. We believe men and women serve as deacons. So as we understand 1 Timothy 2, where the Bible talks about Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach her of authority over a man. And then he gets into the responsibilities of the elder. We believe that that there, combined with the created order, how God created Adam first and then Eve, although we're equally created, equally fallen, equally redeemed, e- e- equally gifted, that God grants us different callings. That God allows that. I mean, men and women are different biologically. That doesn't in any way, in any way, is not meant to demean women. In fact, it's very clear in Genesis. I preached this when I preached through Genesis last year that man was unable to do all that God wanted him to do alone. Man just couldn't do it. Man was incomplete to do the task that God wanted him to do alone, which is why he created Eve. Man, Adam, needed Eve. That says how valuable Eve is. Man was unable to do all that God had called him to do on his own. He couldn't do it. And so God created Eve. Incredibly high calling. But in that you see a number of times, so three, four times in Scripture, the idea of of submittance is used once in an overarching theme in Ephesians 4 of, of us submitting to each other, but three times specifically, Two other times in Paul, once in Peter, of women specifically submitting to men and what that looks like. And I believe submitting is the voluntary uh, or voluntarily giving up your rights for the rights of another. But then, of course, husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to give their lives up for her, which means that I am to lay down my rights for my wife as well, that submitting is in no way ruling. Ruling is the curse um, or, or... As husbands lead their homes, leadership is in no way ruling because ruling is the curse. It's a godly leadership by which you're willing to die to yourself so that your wife can flourish. So in the same way, that's what elders are called to. To die to self so that the people in the congregation can flourish. And we would hold that that office is reserved for men. But the office of deacons we would hold is for men and women. Now let me explain this because both in elders... And in deacons, it says husband of one wife. So how, how do I look at that? Well, I don't believe there he's talking about marriage specifically. Here's why. I believe single men can serve as elders and single people can serve as deacons. I believe someone who's widowed. If it's one wife literally, it means that someone who's widowed and remarried could never serve as an elder or a deacon. And so I don't believe that that is the literal translation. The idea is that you have an undivided heart. The idea is that you're faithful to your spouse. That's the idea there of married to one woman. And I get the other, the principle, is pulled out from 1 Timothy 2. So let me keep going on this. In Romans 16, oh no, let me do this first in this. In verse 11 it says, in the same way the women are worthy of respect, um, of of uh, of 1 Timothy 3. The reason it says the women is because we're uncertain whether or not women is a literal translation. So are these the deacons' wives? I hold that unlikely. That's how it was translated years ago. The reason I hold that unlikely is because if you flip back up in the passage to elders, there's no mention of elders' wives. And if the elders are given the main priority of the church and in the, in the overall responsibility, you'd think it would mention their wives before it would mention deacons' wives, but it doesn't. So here it says the women. That's the Greek word for woman. So I believe that this should be better translated the deaconesses. The women serving as deacons. So in the same way deaconesses are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. If you turn to Romans 16 verse 1, Paul says, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chantria. Right? Now deacon can also be servant. So it could be translated a servant of the church in Christ Jesus, um, of the church in Chantria. But I believe, as the NIV does, that it is better translated deacon in this instant as Paul is naming her in Romans 1 as a leader in the church. And you see in the New Testament church, like Lydia, who was a woman of purple cloth, where the church met at her place, women of prominence all through the New Testament. So, in our understanding of scripture, God has called the eldership of the church to be male, uh, including the lead pastoral, and he's called the pastoral, uh, sorry, the uh, deacons of the church to be male or female. So, in our church, in our history, what does that look like? Well, typically we've used the term elders and not the term deacons. But our deacons have been our ministry chairs, our chairs of finance committee, our chairs of hospitality our chairs of maintenance. We've considered them deacon-like, and as they're uh, called into those places, often there's a conversation uh, where we talk about how we want them to be qualified as deacons in that. And in this, our elders have begun a conversation just like years ago we transitioned and started to use elders 27 years ago, a long time ago, in my early years here, that we probably, instead of talking about ministry chairs, should be transitioning and thinking about how we are calling people deacons. I actually remember this conversation with Ken. Do you remember this conversation, Ken? And uh, when Ken became the co-chair of the finance committee, and I said, Ken, this this means we believe you're qualified to be a deacon. And Ken said, then I can't serve in this role. And I'm like, what? Ken, that's not true. You're qualified to be a deacon. And we went back and forth of it. I don't know if you remember that, but I do. Um, Because I'm like, Ken, you're qualified in the role as deacon. And the deacons serve practically in the church. They, They take the practical ministries. In our church, that's like the finance committee. In fact, I said to the elders and, and pastoral staff recently, because we've been talking about this, Marcio is typically running Coffees on in the Hub, and I said, you know what? We need some deacons to be raised up to run ministries like Coffees on in the Hub, and Marcio comes in as a chaplain for those ministries. He comes in to declare the word as other people, and he has a great, great teams working with him, but we need deacon-like people to be raised up in those ministries to come alongside of people. The Bible doesn't give a lot of specifics around this then. I mean, how do elders and deacons function together? How often do they meet together? The Bible doesn't say. So, in our history, when the elders were making some critical decisions about building a building, building a building with housing, before we went to the whole congregation, we'd call the ministry chairs together and we'd say, hey, let's all gather and sit down, elders, ministry chairs, and sometimes community group leaders who we could see functioning in a deacon-like level and say, let's gather and just together pray about what God may call us to do. Let's have a discussion with each other. But as we began to think about this, I mean, Scripture doesn't talk about how elders, deacons, and pastoral staff function together. I mean, the two offices we see in Scripture typically are elder and deacon. Pastoral, I see as a function. It's not an office. You have a gift of pastoring. Our denomination has limited... Uh, The idea of pastor, because of the way our culture understands pastor, uh, the idea of of pastor uh, to men. But I actually think men and women have the function of pastoring. I would actually see Diana Crosby as the children's ministry pastor. I don't use that title because our denomination has asked us not to. I sit on the boards for our denomination. I'm happy to submit to our fellowship um, in that. But that's what I, how I and we as elders typically have understood scripture over the years. That fun, The function of pastor. We've, in, in our culture, we've made pastor the title. But truly, I actually believe I'm not a pastor. I actually don't think I have the gifts of pastoring. Nice, eh? Don't you like that? <laughs> I believe that I am the lead pastor of this church whose predominant gifts are teaching and leadership. My strongest gift is leadership by far. And then teaching and preaching. I mean, yesterday I was with the uh, Reformed Church of America um, in a meeting in Toronto, and I taught for four hours. At one point, I taught for two hours solid for them. Uh, could you imagine? Jesse's like, "What? That was great." Uh, I taught for an hour, and then there was an hour of Q and A, and and I just felt bad. I'm like, they're just all they hear is my voice in this room for two solid hours. I mean, and they were like, "Can you go longer?" And I'm like, my church would never ask for that at this point. They'd be like. What has happened? Paul would be like, turn off, just turn off the mic. Um, but my, my gifts are in leadership, and my gifts are in teaching. So I actually see myself as an elder among elders whose gifts is leadership and teaching. I see Paul and Marcio both as gifted elders who are shepherds. They're actually gifted as pastors more than I am. Paul and Marcio by far, Derek, excels in pastoral ministry, and I don't. I just don't, it's it's not my spiritual gift, but I do love you in Jesus' name, even if I'm not a shepherd. So then if I think about our our church and what that looks like, who are some of our deacons? As we talked about it at Staff and Elders, are you ready? We said Jenna. I mean, Jenna administrates our church for us. Jenna is someone who we've watched grow in a number of ways over the years. If you talk to her about our soccer league or our Christmas hamper, she knows something about 80% of the families that get Christmas hampers from us or participate in our soccer league. That's a deacon. To know that kind of information, be able to relay it to others, and to be able to come alongside and care for them. I mean, sometimes I'm coming in and Jenna is is, uh, pastorally walking with someone on the phone And she's learned to do that over the years and has become incredibly gifted at doing it. And it saves me a lot of time. Or Paul or Marcio, or or others. And so as we look at this, it's one of the things that we've been talking about, how do we do this? And and we do it differently. This past week I met with the Karen church. Many of you know we have a Karen congregation that meets with us. You've met close. eh? Um, They have never incorporated and they're officially not entirely under us. So we've been having conversations of, are they going to become their own entity within our entity? Are they going to become fully under us? Because none of the Koran churches in Canada that we know of are really well-insured. Um, and, and we've just been talking about you live in a country where there are some logistical things you need. So Close they called his elders together with some other leaders in the church to our meeting through translation, where, again, I talked the whole time. Um, there, was, there was obviously conversation in Koran and then translated back to me. And then the next day, Close they and I began to talk about next steps for his congregation. And I gave him five or six options. And he said, which one is right? I said, any of them. I don't think there's really a right or wrong here, Close. There might be a best practice, but I don't know how to translate that into your culture, to be honest. I know the two ways I would do it if it was James North out of these five. I, I don't know for the current culture what the best way is. So we need to pray about this. We need to ask for God's discernment about it. And there's no right or wrong there. There might be a best practice, and a best practice for his culture, but we need to discern that together. Um, we have Giuliano and his family here with us today. Do you guys just mind standing for a minute, and we're gonna introduce you guys later um, in another service. But Giuliano and his family are with us this morning, and uh, if we could just take a minute and welcome them, and I'm gonna tell you guys who they are. <laughs> Thank you, guys. But you know that Marcio and Eleni have been working with Portuguese people in our midst, uh, and we've been having vital ministry among the Portuguese. And so earlier this year, the Reformed Church of Canada came and met with us and said, we have a planter coming to Hamilton from Brazil. They just got here Christmas Day looking to work and establish a Portuguese-speaking work for Brazilians and Portuguese people in Hamilton. And we know that Pastor Marcio has been doing this for a long time. Can we work with you? And uh, these are two diff- different denominations. So we went to our denomination and say, can we make this work? They said, Sure. They went to their denomination said, can we make this work? And they said, we work with Baptists overseas. Why can't we work with them in Canada? Sure. And uh, and and so we've been working together. Uh, we met with uh, Pastor Giuliano over Zoom uh, a number of times prior to him t- coming to Canada. Marcia and I did, then Eleni and Marcia met with the, them as a couple. And and uh, and so we're looking to see what this will look like. And and Giuliano and Marcia were with me yesterday in Toronto at the church. And as we drove home, they started to unpack a bit about about what establishing this plant might look like over the next number of months and, and what this might look like for us. And we were going back and forth and there was no right or wrong to what we were saying. Do you start through small group ministries? Do you start with a, with, with a, with a large visioning meeting? Do you start with something else? Do you have an outreach to start with? Or do you do a, 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 a service where people can come and explore and see what it looks like? What do you do? I'm gonna wrap this together and I'll stop. This is why the apostles said at the beginning of the chapter that you need what? These people need to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. Why? Because God granted us a freedom in many ways of how we operate as church. And you need people that can rely on his spirit so that as his spirit directs you, you're able to walk in the way God wants you to in that moment. Does that make sense? We need people full of the spirit and wisdom. Well, verse eight, I'm gonna walk through this quickly for the next five minutes and I'm done. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedom, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. I mean, sometimes you wonder, where will I get the answers to the questions people are asking me? Here's the answer, from the Spirit. From the Spirit. So Stephen, who's a godly deacon, is now debating And as he's debating, he's performing wonders and signs. This doesn't seem to indicate that he was performing wonders and signs after the laying on of hands. Likely this was happening prior to this as well, because he was a man full of the Spirit. It also demonstrates that the ability to perform wonders and signs is not limited to only the apostles. Did you catch that? Stephen and later Philip are able to do some of these things. So it's not just limited to the apostolic office. And so they're debating with Stephen, but did you note this in verse 9? They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. We need to be reliant on the Spirit. Spirit of God, would you grant me the word? Spirit of God, would you grant me your wisdom? Spirit? I mean, every time I open this book, every day, not as a ritualistic prayer, but I just say, God, I can't understand your word. This is Supernatural. God, would you grant me the ability by your spirit to understand and articulate what your word has said? Would you grant me the wisdom to understand it as I study it? And then would you grant me the ability to articulate it clearly to the people that you've entrusted to me as I articulate your word? And so that's what I pray every day. I pray for my devotional time when I'm just reading the word on my own for my own personal growth. God, would you help me to understand your word? I can't do it on my own. It's just a simple prayer of dependence on the Lord. And it's what we do when we're in conversations with others. And so they, they secretly persuaded some to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the, the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. And they produced false witnesses, just like Jesus they did for him, who testified, this fellow never stops talking, speaking against this holy place. That's the temple. And against the law, the two pillars of their faith, the temple and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Well, they're mishearing what he's saying. But remember, Jesus even said, destroy this temple, speaking of himself, and it will be raised up in three days. I'll raise it up in three days. They're like, what? took years to build the temple. How are you going to do this in three days? And, of course, Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law. Stephen understands that. He's now explaining to them how Jesus has fulfilled the law, and they're saying he's tearing it apart. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face looked like that of an angel, which would be similar to Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. God granted him wisdom by the Spirit. And you know what the good news is? His spirit is in us. Andrew, you guys can come up. God's spirit is in you. If you're a believer today, his spirit is in you. Is that not good news? So as our church moves forward and as we come out of this pandemic and we need to continue to reorganize ourselves into what God, is God calling us to next, what is next for James North? I mean, we're excited that we believe at the end of this year we'll have three congregations meeting this facility, a Portuguese-speaking one, a korean speaking one, and us all working together for the glory of God and honor. He's, he's granted this beautiful facility. We don't want to be the only ones to use it. All, all under our auspices, all working with us, but together for the kingdom of God. And then what? I mean, we've heard mostly as the elders have met and prayed and talked that our congregation wants to remain in kind of one service. So as we grow, what will that mean? Well, we've been praying about what it would look like to plant churches. Would people even sitting with us today be raised up from God to establish churches in other parts of the city? What if we were there, there? There's there's a need for a church. I know Lyft is there, but there's a need for a church, Baptistic in nature, in the area of McMaster again. We'll be planted church there in the next three or four years. We're the only. When I came here, there were six fellowship Baptist churches in the lower city of Hamilton. We're the only one left. Do we have any responsibility for the lower city of Hamilton? And how will we do this? Well, the elders will focus on the ministry of the prayer and the word with oversight and shepherding. And we'll need deacons to come alongside of us, godly people full of the spirit and wisdom who will look after the practicum of the church. And then we need all of us together to take the gifts that God has given us and to serve him so that as we're walking with others and coming alongside of others, as we're empowered by his spirit, we're able to come alongside of them and show them who Jesus is so that people will turn from sin and believe. And together as a congregation, we will grow in our faith and we will see this city won for Christ. Because there's a group of spirit-filled people who rely on the wisdom of God to lead a church forward in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? You are God and you are good and we're thankful for that. And Spirit of God, we confess that so often we don't rely on you and we're not dependent the way we should be and we rely on our own wisdom. Oh, may that end today. And may you cause us, Spirit of God, to know who you are within us. You're our counselor You're our guide. We need you. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that you came. And when you left, you left us with the Spirit. And so help us to become familiar with the Holy Spirit in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.